0: Welcome to Embedded Edge with Nitin, a podcast that brings to life the stories behind today's embedded systems, technologies, and products. It's the show where you'll hear from both engineers and executives on some of the most topical news and most pressing challenges in the world of embedded system design. Here's your host, Editor-in-Chief of Embedded.com, Nitin Dahad.
1: Hello, welcome to this edition of Embedded Edge with Nitin. This episode covers three key topics, software-defined vehicles, intelligent edge and FPGAs, and edge connectivity for asset asset tracking. We talk to executives from NXP Semiconductors, Microchip, and Dutch startup Quolinks on these three subjects respectively. Since we have lots to cover, let's get straight to the interviews. First is my interview with Brian Carlson of NXP Semiconductors, in which we talk about where we are with software-defined vehicles and what the future holds. After that, we'll talk to Microchip on intelligent edge and FPGAs, followed by Qualynx on edge connectivity. I'm talking to Brian Carlson, Global Marketing Director for Automotive Products at NXP Semiconductors. Brian, hello.
2: Hey, David. Great to talk to you again.
1: Talking to various people about uh, trends in the industry, and one of the things that uh, we're seeing um, in, in the embedded world is is the uh, software-defined vehicle. Since CES, I think we've seen quite a lot on software-defined vehicles from the user and in-cabin experience and how that's changing the way uh, automotive manufacturers are delivering stuff. But let's drill down to maybe the, the, the layer down below that. How are they changing the way automobiles are designed?
2: Yeah, so this definitely is probably one of the hottest topics in automotive today, other than electrification, of course, we see that big trend uh, going on. Uh, But for software-defined vehicles, this is really a shifting, I would say, a, a, a key tipping point into the future for automotive. It is designed around a new type of architecture within the vehicle that allows these vehicles, instead of being defined by boxes, right? Called electronic control units, Mm. ECUs. It's Mm. through software instead of ECUs through virtual ECUs. So what that's going to allow is the ability, instead of adding more and more boxes to a vehicle, to be able to add virtual ECUs or new capabilities almost in real time over the life of the vehicle. And that will touch every aspect of the vehicle uh, with improvements, better user experiences, uh, better performance, safer, uh, better security over the life of the vehicle. So it really is a combination of a new architecture of the vehicle that enables this new capability, not locked into just individual boxes, but a whole architecture that really enables the future for automotive through through software updates. And, so and think- this has a large a large impact on both hardware and software.
1: No, I think I remember we we talked about this uh, last year at Embedded World with the mm-hmm. um, with the launch you had. I think S thirty two. I guess uh, where are we now in that sort of cycle in terms of uh, development of of those architectures?
2: Yeah. So as far as I'll, I'll say it first of all, at the industry level, right? The industry is moving very quickly. I would say faster uh, than most people predicted. We all knew that this was coming. You know, it's between between by 2030 is kind of where the target was, where everyone would would migrate over there. And we've been working on the S32 platform. Uh, We introduced it, we talked started talking about in 2017 about addressing end-to-end vehicle, right? Uh, There's processing Mm -hmm. needs that are very different across the vehicle. And this still plays out very nicely into this software-defined vehicle that's moving to these new architectures, zonal architectures, because you need different processing. You need applications processing in the central computer, and you need real-time type processing that can act very quickly and safely in the zones at the edges of the vehicle. And that's exactly how our technology, our, our S32 automotive platform is designed with the S32G uh, which we started shipping S2G2 uh, in 2021. We're going to launch the the S32G3 here at Embedded World, and we had, as you mentioned, the S2Z and E, which addresses those real time, those real time high performance ah, right, compute yes. that's required for the activation, working with the sensors, controlling the motors, uh, managing the battery, and these types of things. And there's one other layer, uh, the body functions, body and comfort, how do you handle those in the zones? And the S32K is the other part of the equation from NXP that allows us to do all the HVAC, the lighting, all the all the body and comfort functions within the vehicle. So that, that combination of G, Z, and E, and K from an NXP perspective allows us to dress all of those capabilities in a software-defined vehicle.
1: And you said it's been moving fast, and uh, so I guess uh, are there any examples where you can talk about some, some of the things that are being delivered uh, by your customers? And
2: So there'll be some public announcements this year, um, and there are vehicles that are going to the market this year, the initial software-defined vehicle uh, types of consolidation of, I would say, ECUs into virtual ECUs and to be able to rapidly add new capabilities and functionality over time into those. Those were enabled by this S32G3, which has 12 processors, actually has more. There's 21 processors inside. So, you know, you, you uh, can deploy quite a lot of software and remove a lot of hardware and boxes and wires and cables within a vehicle now. That's the first step we see is this initial integration of capabilities, consolidating those into more of a high performance SoC. Where we're also seeing this year is in the body. We're starting to see those consolidation of the body function. So instead of having a box to do your windows, a box to do the HVAC, a box to do the lighting, we're seeing these zones where you may have four on the four corners of the car, and each area of that car is controlling everything within that part of the vehicle. So we're already seeing that called the body zone. So we're starting to see this year, actually, these types of zonal architectures coming into play. I would say, though, when you see more of a holistic view of it in uh, model year uh, 2025, we start to see 25, 26, where that starts to accelerate very quickly. Uh, And then by by 2028, more even globally, uh, we start to see this as the universal uh, way of designing vehicles going forward. So it's starting this year initially, with body and some of the consolidation 2025-26 for mm. more across the vehicle. And then by 2028, really uh, globally across, uh, I would say most of the OEMs at that point. Well, I think
1: what you're talking about is really sort of controlling a lot of the the, the body functions, the, the, the zonal architectures, controlling a lot of different functions, which I presume allows the automotive manufacturer to update those elements of the, of the car easily as well over the life, lifetime of the, 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 the vehicle.
2: Yes, exactly. So it's beyond just the uh, human-machine interface and the infotainment. I mean, that's traditionally what we've had in the past, and that's expanding. But what we're talking about is what actually makes a vehicle a vehicle, right? You're driving, you're stopping, you're steering. It's everything that goes on and now with electric vehicles, managing the battery, the energy, the efficiency, the range. Autonomous and ADAS features as these vehicles get more safe, you know, safer and become more autonomous. Improving that autonomous, those those features over time. Improving those driving algorithms, making them a safer driving vehicle. Uh, the overall user experience uh, from a from a maintenance perspective, for example, to be monitoring what's going on inside the vehicle in real time, not just giving you a check engine light and saying there you go, send it in. Actually monitoring what's happening in the vehicle before that that light comes yes. on and potentially even updating that over time. Integrate new insurance offering, real-time electric vehicle insurance, uh, more advanced insurance that uh, mm. can provide some really attractive offerings. And then there's the whole safety and security overall. Yeah. Uh, um, software vulnerabilities, those types of things can be addressed real-time uh, also. So it's really across the vehicle becomes much more than just updating the infotainment. And you need the processing from end to end that includes all the security and ability to do over-the-air updates across the vehicle. And that's really what's new. It's not just focused on the telematics and the okay. infotainment, but we're talking about the complete vehicle now.
1: Let's go to some of the challenges. I mean, what are the challenges you're seeing with, with um, companies you're talking to about implementing all of these uh, capabilities, software-defined capabilities, and how? how is NXP helping them to address those specifically maybe?
2: Yeah, it's a good question because this fundamentally changes the game, right? It's not the old way of, I have a microcontroller, it's doing a specific function like controlling the motor or controlling the window, right? Discrete functions, that's the old way of doing things. So now what's happening is multiple of these functions that I was saying are consolidated to much larger SOCs with multiple processing cores. That is a new way of developing. In fact, it's not just having multiple people on your team within a company, but the tier ones aren't going away. Tier ones are still, you know, providing uh, expertise and and capabilities into here. So you can imagine how to how do I have multiple tier ones integrating multiple functions into the same chip? It changes the game. So that's the challenge. And what we've seen the big shift. You know, people talk about shift left is developing software in the cloud virtually. Right. This whole concept of virtualization, whether it's virtualizing the chip, that's the starting point virtualizing the ECU and ultimately virtualizing the whole car. So what we're seeing is now what's really changed is not just having a board or a box on your desktop, but we're seeing thousands of engineers and some of our new chips that are actually developing their software in the cloud and integrating it and testing it and then deploying it to hardware in a seamless manner. And that's what's really new and that's the challenge because everyone's kind of learning that new process of how I develop in the cloud. How do Mm. I do the continuous improvement? How do I do the continuous deployment? That CICD cycle, that's Mm. what's new and, and, and challenging for people from a software development point of view. And that's where NXP is coming in as well as our partners that we work with is to make that whole journey seamless. Uh, mm-hmm. Not only from the early development, we have people that are working on our five nanometer chips. We've talked about that publicly. At least mm-hmm. those are coming. They're already developing software on five nanometer chips today that are um, in development. Um, we have test chips, but the production chips. So it allows them to start well ahead of time to develop all the software, multiple tier ones and OEMs. Uh, so that that's that's the whole software development side. But there's also the hardware side, right? We talked about this at the S32Z and E last year about mm-hmm. now the chips have to be different because yeah. they have to be isolated. I can't have multiple people, multiple companies running on the same chip at the same time that could interfere with each other. So that's yeah. the other challenge now is working with in these new types of environments, not just a microcontroller. I mean, those don't go away in certain places, There's are still microcontrollers, but when there's these consolidation of these massive functions yes. into a single chip, now you got to deal with uh, new types of challenges with isolation. And that's one yes. thing that NXP is doing on the hardware side is. Provide chips that have integrated in, uh, isolation that allows multiple vendors to run on the same chip without interfering. Mm-hmm. So freedom from interference. So there's challenges on the software, working with the cloud, working with the hardware. It's really a whole new world, and that I, that's probably the whole the biggest challenge is, is really making this all come together um, for the uh, OEMs and the industry at whole well into this okay. new environment.
1: We'll, we'll try and conclude on two two sort of aspects now. One is what what are you showing this year uh, embedded world and uh, what's coming up this year? And yeah, how do you see uh software-defined vehicle technology evolving over the next few years?
2: Yeah, so uh one of the key focus we'll show, we'll we'll do our public uh launch of the S32G3, which we announced in December of 21, but now we are in mass market production uh mass market launch in production with that device. So we will be showcasing that as a processor that's being used by OEMs. As I said, you'll start to hear announcements through this year for software-defined vehicles and consolidation of functions and virtual ECUs. So we'll actually be showing that uh, running on our platform and showing running uh, Kubernetes, where we're bringing cloud-native technologies into the automobile, so we can deploy right. services right in the vehicle onto that part. And you know, a lot of people have been talking about this. I've seen a lot of PowerPoint slides and presentations, but we'll we'll actually be showing this on production silicon. That anyone can start to buy uh, as of embedded world and uh, start to develop these things with with automotive grade uh, silicon.
1: What's what's the next thing? I mean, we've been talking about software defined vehicles for for a couple of years right. now, but uh, what's down the line?
2: Yeah, so you know, it's more and more about integration and more bringing this together, right? And um, you know, people think there's a perception out there that one chip's going to do the whole car. That's that's not the reality. But what we see mm. is. The combination of chips, uh, but more and more integration within those chips uh, that really take it to the next level. So I think you know, right now the focus is about that whole DevOps cycle I was talking about, the yep. whole you know getting data to the cloud and OTA services and data uh, uh, data updates, machine learning. That's where a lot of the focus is today. But where I think it's really going excite, to get excited now is as we shift to. Having these capabilities, what do we do with them? Right, it's all these uh, these use cases that are going to come. I, I like to compare it to you know when you had your old cell phone, and mm-hmm. we converted moved to a, a smartphone. It's very similar in concept, right? Think about it. it's kind of a closed system. You really couldn't yep. do much on it. You could text, make yep. calls, but think of the car now and the applications that are going to happen that go way beyond just the the IVI, right? We've been doing that yep. for years. But now Mm. think about this. These are rolling sensor platforms. There's a lot going on within the vehicle. You can make synthetic sensors. You can do very interesting applications that leverage the vehicle data. These Mm. new architectures actually with isolation can support more of an ecosystem play where Mm. uh, applications could be leveraging much more of the vehicle uh, data and intelligence. So that's what's going to get exciting. I think that's the next wave. And this ties into that $20 billion a year typical numbers that the OEMs are talking about, right? Incremental software revenue. That's okay. where the next big wave has come, is building upon all of the investment that we're doing on the Silicon side, the in, in, industry's doing for the whole DevOps side. That is laying the foundation for the next big wave of all these amazing applications, even some we can't even think about today because right. they'll be able to leverage data, processing at the edge, processing in the cloud, and that'll all be seamless, and it'll be easy, and it'll be easy to upgrade over time. That's the excitement of, of where this is all going, and that's the next big wave.
1: Wow. Okay. Well, Brian, thank you very much. Sure. Thank you. Now, let's turn to the topic of intelligent edge and FPGAs with Bruce Wire and Shaquille Pira of Microchip. I'm talking to Bruce Swire and Shaquille Pira of the FPGA unit at Microchip. Bruce, Shaquille, hello. Hello, Nathan. Hi. Hi, Nathan. We're here to talk about intelligent edge. We might as well start about talking about the intelligent edge trends that you're seeing in the market and uh, where that plays into what you're doing. So there, there are four very, very
3: specific trends that we see uh, on the intelligent edge, and in, in defining
1: intelligent edge,
3: what we mean by the intelligent edge is anything outside of the cloud and the data center where you need low latency processing uh, for things like computer vision, uh, as an uh, as an example. The, the four things that we consider in terms of making sure that we meet these specific requirements is artificial intelligence and machine learning. The second thing that we, uh, that, that, that we consider is uh, image processing. The quality of image processing over the years has gone from 4K to 8K. Uh, the next thing obviously is, how do you transport them over to the client and in and out of the data, uh, out of the cloud data network. And for this, we talk about the edge infrastructure. The edge infrastructure will consist of basically 100 gig pipes. And lastly, it's uh, the advent of distributed radio architectures for 5G and 6G networks. A new trend obviously is uh, safety and reliability. Uh, mm-hmm. These devices on the edge are not uh, like the devices that that are being processed by central offices where there were there were uh, guns, guards and gates. Those do not mm. exist for intelligent edge devices. We need to make sure that they're protected against cybersecurity threats, but above and beyond cybersecurity threats, uh, they have robust anti-tamper. And from that perspective, we are a leader in the market. And, and, and there's a strange last thing that, you know, many people don't consider, which is uh, radiation effects. Mm. As the number of transistors have grown over the past decade in a single footprint, the statistical probability of something failing because of a radiation hit is equivalent to that of what you see on commercial airplanes. And with the need for uptime, 99.999% of uptime that is required in servers and in network infrastructure, this becomes an important consideration as well. So we protect against alpha and neutron uh, impacts and making sure that our non volatile uh, architecture does not flip a bit and basically kind of lead to a functional failure.
1: Last December and then in January, you, you sort of introduced or previewed uh, the, the next generation PolarFire architecture. One of the things I think you've been telling me about is your credentials in getting 2x power efficiency and how that's got you um, a very big sort of a part of the market for non-consumer, the industrial and the space and defense type applications. Tell us a little bit about, you You, you talk about 4x efficient power efficiency now in the next architecture. Maybe Bruce can talk to that. Where? Tell us a little bit about that, and then how are you getting that? And you talked about some of the ability to fine-tune the architectures to enable that to happen. But I'm not sure you can talk too much about the architecture yet, can you?
4: <laughs> I'll be happy to talk to the full extent that I can. So for the past five years, uh, we've had a 2x power efficiency advantage. With our polar fire architecture. And there is fundamental to the technology we we use as well as optimization and design techniques we use within the architecture itself. So first, the technology is a non-volatile architecture. So we do not have the leakiness of the an SRAM type cell that has to be continuously refreshed. So that means that our static power can be up to a magnitude lower than our competitors' products. Okay. We also optimize the architecture for low power leadership. So our transceiver technologies that we chose were very digitally focused in ensuring that we had lower power consumption in our transceivers. So we have over 2x power advantage there as well. How we architected the overall fabric, everything was about power leadership. So if you look at the application spaces broadly in the market, our customers consistently got 2x power efficiency gains versus the competition and, and sometimes even up to 3x. So that is the base platform then that we've been working with for the last five years. Three years ago, we extended that solution to include RISC-V architectures. And most people recognize RISC-V as being an open ISA for the instruction set, but it also is an open architecture for how you want to define the product when you Mm. first bring it to market. Mm. So we optimize that architecture for power efficiency. So we maintain that 2x power efficiency advantage not only in the PolarFire platform, but also the PolarFire SoC. So now we're previewing our next generation PolarFire 2 architecture. And once again, we're applying the same techniques. It's still a non-volatile architecture. It's on a more advanced technology node, which means that your dynamic power can be much less. And we're continuing to apply design techniques. We've got a tremendous amount of next generation, new architectural advancements that's going to ensure that we again can double our power efficiency. So yes, relative to the existing market, Polar Fire was a 2x power efficiency. We're building off that for another 2x power efficiency for over 4x power efficiency relative to the historic market over the past five years.
1: And is that what customers have been demanding, more power efficiency? And is that you know, that's the reason you've been working on this?
4: Absolutely. Absolutely. And when you look at the intelligent edge and the communications equipment in order to transport that information to that edge, everyone is thermally constrained. And the number one, you know, the real number one mission over the next 10 years is to have more power efficiency in the market in order to enable the intelligent edge. It's all about um, the amount of data that can be processed and within the thermal envelope available for a given application.
1: Okay. One of the things I think you talked about to me uh, previously was uh, around how there are three key things that you, have as, as features which customers have been coming to you. Uh, one is obviously the um, power efficiency that you talk about, but then the security and the root of trust you provide, and then the ability to uh, single event up, uh, upset uh, uh, protection. I guess these are fed into you know, sort of things like space, and you know you've got the space project as well. Uh, tell tell us a little bit about how that plays into you know sort of how you work with your customers.
4: Sure, the um, you know it's easy to look at a space application and realize that single event upsets are vital importance, or the immunity of single event upsets are vitally important, particularly in an FPGA, because an FPGA is programming the actual configuration of the silicon, and you're controlling potentially a billion-dollar platform in space. So it's imperative that the neutron energy levels cannot flip the configuration of your cell. And again, a non-volatile cell requires higher voltage levels, higher currents to program that element versus an SRAM cell. So inherently, our products are immune to configuration upsets. You don't have to worry about the FPGA changing its state. So it's easy to talk about that in space and in aviation where it's incredibly important. But it's also important in communication networks. And for instance, one of our largest customers in the communication space, they originally approached us because they were worried about SE immunity. They wanted to make sure that their systems that were were highly reliable. Anytime their systems are down, it costs a tremendous amount of money for both them and their customers. So their first engagement was to discuss SEU immunity. But then they realized that we had this incredible security layer in our architecture that we designed in that would allow us to be their root of trust. So we could Mm. be the root of trust for their entire router system. And we're instant on, we could bring up the processors, we could bring up the other FPGAs or devices on that board and we could bring up the, so we, we proliferated across that company's many applications being the security layer. But then as you enter in, into these individual applications and you realize we're also two times more power efficiency, why not also leverage that capability of our product? So in any given customer, they might, the first dialogue might be 2X power efficiency, moving to 4X. It might be SU immunity, it might be security layers. That's your first dialogue, but then the customer realizes there's really three different ways that we can significantly enhance their application um, going to market.
1: Other thing I think you talked about was um, around the next generation uh, Polifier. You've got um, the design flow uh, being addressed as well. You know, with the with the design tools. Can you talk to talk to me a little bit about how you're making it easier for customers? to sort of implement that?
3: So there there are three aspects that that we are looking at. One is increased compute horsepower at a system design level. What we want to do is make sure that the software infrastructure is easy to use and intuitive and modern UIs and modern flows that allow you to basically take maximum advantage of the horsepower that the uh, underlying architecture allows you to, to have. Uh, in the easiest way possible. The second aspect is what we talked about earlier during our brief, which was, how do you take such a powerful uh, and power-efficient compute platform uh, and make it attractive to the people who most desire to use it, which Mm. is the generation community of computer engineers who are going to be developing next-generation algorithms for AI, ML, and and machine vision. Those do not necessarily need to be FPGA engineers, but are predominantly computer engineers. So what we need to do is be able to abstract the computer, uh, sorry, the FPGA hardware away from them. So all they can do is, is is figure out what is the best algorithm that they want to develop, and then the tools will take care of basically distributing those algorithms within the various compute hierarchies that the FPGA offers. So the software should be able to take care of all of that without having to burden the computer engineer with the knowledge that all this heterogeneous compute architecture actually exists
1: underneath. Right. Going ask you a final question. So, what's going to keep you awake at night uh, for the the rest of this year, Bruce?
4: So, you know, w- with any company in the semiconductor industry, there's a tremendous rebirth of energy in semiconductors. I believe, and particularly in the FPGA sector, the opportunity at hand for the breadth of the Internet of Things, in many ways, the Internet of Everything, and the algorithmic work needed for AIML, it's it's ideal for FPGA Fabrics. We see a clear leadership position we have the opportunity of having in the market, whether power efficiency or security and a reliability of our products. So it really is beholden on upon ourselves to, to execute and bring these technologies to market, along with the software layers that Shaq talked about with how do we enable AIML efficiencies at an SDK level? How do we enable software engineers to be more efficient at designing and partnering in the de- definition and design of the FPGA itself for their end customers.
1: Shaquille and Bruce, thank you very much. Thank you, Newton. Thank, thank you, Niven. Finally, let's talk about edge connectivity and asset tracking with Tom Trill of Qualinx. I'm now talking to Tom Trill, CEO of Qualix, and uh, it's a company that's in the Netherlands, spin out from the Delft University. Tom, hello. Hi, Nathan. You're a relatively new company, but you know, you've know you been uh, sort of operating since
0: 2015. Tell me a little bit about the, the company and what you do. So, yeah, we were founded um, in late 2015. The three co-founders had just graduated from their PhD studies at the Technical University here in Delft, um their studies were very complementary in the field of digital RF, And the the three guys came together and founded the company. And we've been pretty much self-funded all the way up through to about early last year. And at which time we decided to raise our first uh, external funding. We just announced that last week. We raised uh, uh, €8 million Euro from a syndicate of Dutch investors. The the company is focused, as I mentioned a moment ago, on digital RF, and that's the core invention um, and the core uh, set of IP that we have. And there are many ways to implement digital RF, but we've decided to go to market with a GNSS, that's a global navigation satellite system, chip, and we have the capability of adding IoT radios to that platform as we proceed forward. Uh, as I said, we're based here in Delft. Um, We've moved into this new building as part of a facility called Next Delft. We installed our own lab um, on site, and we're staffing up quite rapidly.
1: Okay. Before we dig into some of the trends, I think one of the key things I think is your real proposition is the ability to have a software-defined radio and having that single-chip versus multi-chip GNSS sensor. Is that right?
0: Yeah, it is. Yeah. And um, how the technology can manifest itself into a value prop is in terms of a number of different factors. But the software defined radio element is uh, central to that value proposition. It allows us to um, provide our customers with a future proof design. We're. They can order a combination of GNSS and IoT radios, and later, uh, because it is software defined, those customers have the ability to reconfigure over the air on on the fly or on demand, depending on their needs. And I think um, when you look at the use cases that are emerging today, and by the way, I was returned from Mobile World Congress. And one of the overwhelming themes and questions or inquiries that we received from customers was when can we have a single chip multi-mode solution meaning when can i have an indoor outdoor multi-band an l1 or an l5 um, which is just different class of satellites and how can i get that with low power and low cost not being compromised so there's definitely a a wave of uh, interest from customers to have that type of single chip solution uh, so that we can future-proof their own designs in as they deploy it into what is really a fast-growing market. And I think
1: one of your propositions to the investors
0: was probably there's a huge
1: market for asset tracking and we're talking to customers delivering to that market. Is that right?
0: Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And I think through COVID, it was really quite interesting just to see how much of a boom there was in uh, home deliveries, just everything and anything. But that that certainly drove the amount of um, visibility that customers or consumers and consumers have uh, into where their things are. <laughs> where is my uh, delivery from this service or that service? It's not just a B2B model anymore. Uh, also seen and heard a lot of the uh, airline baggage lost baggage stories, where you have etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, um, being the lifeline for people who've lost their their luggage. So the the market in in general is becoming much more sensitized to tracking stuff, um, whether that's a consumer level, industrial or enterprise level. Uh, as a result, we see. A lot of demand from customers, like I said a while ago, for this ability to reconfigure the radio to meet those end-user demands, but also to future-proof the platform. Because as the use cases proliferate, typically in our industry, you would build different SKUs to meet different needs. But now we can uh, offer those customers a multi-mode reconfigurable radio that would at least allow them avoid the overhead of having to build multiple products to serve multiple markets.
1: So it's really yeah. a very cost sensitive market, isn't it?
0: It it is cost sensitive in in many respects. And I think um the the challenge of a proliferated uh product portfolio to serve different market segments will driving more constant cost sensitivity into the space. Again, That's where I think you will see Qualynx uh, deliver great value proposition to our customers insofar as it's a single product, it's reconfigurable and it future-proofs the, the customer's platforms from that sense. So we think we can take cost and complexity out of the supply chain and the value chain as a result. Moreover, um, our architecture and our manufacturing strategy is uh, such that we will stay on the leading edge of uh, the um, sweet spot of manufacturing, and therefore pass along those benefits to our customers. Okay, let's
1: take. um, So, one of the big things right now is. um, edge uh, connectivity, edge intelligence. This is a big part of your value proposition. I think uh, you were at Mobile World Congress, and this is one of the things customers
0: or potential customers were talking to you about. Is that right? Yes. um, The edge, spoken about the edge in many different flavors for a long time now. You know, the IoT, the edge, the cloud, the fog, all of these uh, Mm. words have been bounced around for a long time. And even myself, my own career, I've run up against two two very pervasive challenges the first was how do we integrate non-CMOS blocks into a CMOS SOC for example and there's always a die size penalty and a die size overhead to do so uh, we are calling solve that issue from the radio perspective the other uh, simply because we have migrated the vast majority of analog blocks in a uh, radio over to a digital CMOS process, and that allows us to overcome that issue. The other pervasive uh, issue and barrier that I've run into is an affordable connectivity solution for the edge, affordable in terms of both power and cost. Mm-hmm. And again, Qualynx, we have solved that problem insofar as the affordability is intrinsic to our ability to migrate into a CMOS scaling process. So now we can track uh, all digital, CMOS, uh, digital semiconductor cost curves as we migrate. We feel very bullish about our ability to continue to deliver this generation over gener- These advantages, uh, generation over generation, as we shrink. Okay. And uh, what's your vision for for the company over the next twelve months? Yeah, you mentioned it a moment ago in terms of the edge, and that is absolutely it. The vision is to provide an affordable, uh, in both terms, power and price uh, connectivity solution to the edge, um, one that eliminates a lot of overhead, a lot of cost complexity for our customers. And the end users, the end consumers, will benefit from things like extended battery life, smaller form factor, and the um, avoidance of having to replace their gadgets or their trackers, whatever that may be, through the, the virtue, by virtue of our platform being reconfigurable. And that's what I meant by the, the future-proofing our customers' uh, technology. Well, Tom, thank you very much. Thank you, Nitin.
1: That brings us to the end of this episode. That was Embedded Age with Nitin, and I'm Nitin Darhad. Thanks for listening and see you next time.